Welcome to our podcast, Regulation Matters, A Clear Conversation. Once again, I'm your host, Lyon Dempsey. I'm currently the Chief Compliance Officer with Rickabenny Associates Family Dentistry here in North Carolina, and I serve as the Chair of the National Certified Investigator Training Committee with CLEAR. For those that may or maybe not familiar with CLEAR, uh, the CLEAR is the Council on Licensure, Enforcement, and Regulation. Um, and it's an association of individuals, agencies, and organizations that comprise the international community of professional and occupational regulation. Our podcast is just an opportunity for you to hear about the latest and greatest in our community. And today I'm, I'm joined by a friend of mine I've known for quite a number of years, Peter Mackey with uh, Peter Bridge Communications LLC. We're glad to have you with us today, Peter. Thanks, Lyne. Glad to be here. Absolutely. And thanks for our listeners for joining us as well. Today, what we'd like to talk, talk about is uh, an article that you wrote for the latest issue of Clear Exam Review, and that article is Conflicts of Interest in Credentialing, uh, specifically conflicts of interest that subject matter experts might encounter when serving in exam-related roles for credentialing organizations. So I guess to, to start off our conversation, uh, how did you get interested in this topic, Peter? Uh, well, it, it has a long history. I, the early part of my career was was in Washington, D.C., which uh, is a place where conflicts of interest is a way of life. And uh, and some of my responsibilities <laughs> sure. there were, <laughs> sorry, some of my responsibilities there were involving procurements. And so we had to be very sensitive to uh, whether the bidders uh, had conflicts. Uh, that we needed to be to be aware of. Uh, more recently, in the latter part of my career, working for a credentialing organization, CFA Institute, um, and actually before that, I, I served as a subject matter expert on a lot of different panels and committees. And uh, as a as a consultant, as as a staff member, I worked with subject matter experts in many different functional areas, and I was. Uh, constantly surprised about the level of uh call it unconsciousness or, or unawareness with regard to conflicts that a subject matter expert might have and and not be sensitive to certainly just not not aware um so i guess looking at your paper itself what were the objectives uh, i guess what were your objectives in writing it uh, so the primary objective was was just to I, I I figured and I and I actually knew from networking with other credentialing uh, staff that um, my experience was fairly common. So my hope was to raise awareness and share ideas for managing conflicts among subject matter experts, since I I didn't see a lot of treatment out there in uh, in other articles or papers. So for our listeners that maybe aren't CLEAR members or haven't had a chance to, to read the article, um, I guess, can you kind of give us a little uh, kind of summary of kind of what the paper is about? Uh, sure, sure. Um, it's essentially about my experiences working with volunteer or consultant subject matter experts on, on various exam-related activities. Um, the most sensitive activities would be those involving directly involving exam content item writing and reviewing uh, and standard setting because of the stakes involved uh, but i but i think 
the issue is also relevant for subject matter experts working on practice analysis um, endeavors and, and curriculum and learning design and, and materials uh, development. Um, I think all these present an opportunity for people to have potential conflicts. So that's what it's about. And it's and again, it's somewhat informed by uh, my discussions with colleagues from other credentials about issues that they experienced. Right. So I guess maybe to start things off, uh, how how do you define a conflict of interest? So the the uh, again, my experience was with the CFA credential, Chartered Financial Analyst, and and most of our members are uh, money managers or analysts of of investments that advise other people about investments. And so uh, we have a very strong code of ethics and standards of practice that define your behavior in practice, not, not necessarily geared toward subject matter experts in exam related activities, but but I think they uh, they have a lot of relevance to those activities. And so in the uh, code of ethics for the CFA Institute for Chartered Financial Analysts, they define conflicts as any situation in which a person has a personal or an outside interest substantial enough to affect the person's judgment or interfere in any way with their duty to act in the best interest of the organization or the, the assigned activity or mission. And I, that's not necessarily the uh, definition everyone would adopt, but I think it's fairly close to, to uh, many other variations on that definition. And, and I guess I, I would just add in defining it, there's there's two things that are very important, I think, or to be clear about uh, when we talk about conflicts of interest. And, and one is simply that um, all of us have conflicts. I mean, if you have a job, if you have professional colleagues, friends, relatives, relationships, membership, membership organizations you belong to, affiliation with groups, you're going to have some conflicts. Uh, the second most important thing about understanding that I think is the existence of a conflict doesn't imply any wrongdoing, simply the potential for uh, people behaving uh, in, in, in a way or in, in, in ways that might harm one of the interests that you're associated with. Right, and you know, sometimes even just the the recognizing recognizing that there may be a a conflict, uh, I guess, can probably influence people along that as well. Um, so you mentioned um, subject matter experts. I, I guess is there anything unique about subject matter expert activities and conflicts? Uh, I would say that. Um, well, first, I, I want to say a couple of words about subject matter experts. The vast majority, and we can, for this purpose, consider all of them well-motivated, generally to, to do something to give back as an expression we often hear to the profession. And, um, and secondly, it would be very rare to find a subject matter expert involved in 
some of these volunteer or paid activities for the exam that are uh, going to do anything purposely to harm the, the, the profession or the integrity of the credential. Um, but I think it's important again to you know go back to the prevalence of conflicts. Um, for almost all subject matter experts, the their activity uh, for the credential is not their main allegiance. They they almost always have a, a job, hopefully, uh, other professional relationships and affiliations. Um, so um, I, I think that's an important distinction for for the subject matter expert role. Just a couple of quick. Um, illustrations in case I haven't been clear up to this point. So to illustrate a conflict, uh, every every credential holder, everyone who's achieved, in our case, the Chartered Financial Analyst designation, they have almost an inherent conflict uh, to restrict entry to the profession. That's not to say that most of us behave that way or even think that way. But it's a potential issue, and I, I call that the guild mentality. Uh, pull up the ladder so no one else can compete with you in your profession. And it does happen. You do see you do see reports of this kind of behavior in some professions occasionally. It's, it's not very prevalent, but but I think that's just an illustration of how we all can have conflicts. And and then on a flip side of that, so if 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 I if I am interested in making the credential harder to achieve, I'm going to do things like write harder exam questions, um, contribute or try to influence a cut score to the exam that's that's higher than maybe it reasonably should be or fairly should be. Then you get to the flip side of that, of course, and we all have personal relationships. When when a credential is very successful, like the CFA or or in many of the licensing programs that that clear deals with uh, you're going to know people in that profession you're going to meet people and you're often going to meet people who are taking the exams who are trying to achieve the credential so you know my daughter could be taking the exam this year uh, or my best friend's son could be taking the exam this year so so those are you know some very general examples of why this could be an issue well, I know when 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 investigators get around a table and and chat, we like to talk about some of the uh, great experiences that we've had. I guess from your perspective, what has been one of the worst situations that you've encountered um, with basically conflicted subject matter experts? Um, sure. Well, let me first say, let me just mention some of the roles that might be of issue. Um, in most cases, credentials have uh, training programs, uh, or, or in some cases, it's even uh, the getting the university degree, for example, to become a nurse to prepare for the exam. So you could have anybody affiliated with a prep course or a, or a professor teaching a course, a tutor. Um, People could be involved in multiple credential organizations, some some of which might be considered competitors. Uh, again, and then back to the personal 
uh, relationships. You could have a boss or, or a direct report who's taking the exam, work colleagues, family members, friends. Um, and then specifically to, to answer your question, in our case, this the conflict situations we found uh, that we didn't catch ahead of time were people involved with uh, grading the exams and then also doing exam-related work for another credential or an item writer who's also doing some work for another credential, um, grader that was teaching a prep course on our credential uh, but but probably the worst case that i personally experienced was discovering that a an individual participating in the standard setting workshop to set the cut score for our exams was actually uh, an employee of a prep course that had not disclosed that to us and um and all these situations i described i i think we managed to avoid uh serious harm but it would have been much better had had these conflicts been identified before the individuals became involved in our activities. Um, and there, I think I think I'd add I'd add one other uh, comment that I think um, I think leads to these situations where you discover too late that the person had a conflict. And that, and that's the mentality I think that all of us come into these activities with. We're we're good people. We consider ourselves good people. All the activities I'm involved with are good. I'd never do anything to hurt the credential. And then, secondly, if you if you talk to people about conflicts, you often find they're pretty defensive about it. They they think that you're accusing them of doing something wrong because they have this. A conflict of interest, or that you don't trust them because you're talking to them about some other relationship they might have. And, and sometimes the tendency, and I think this was the case in all of the examples that that we've experienced, the individuals have a tendency to just rationalize their activities and convince themselves that it's okay. Uh, how could anything be wrong with these two activities? And that leads them to conclude that they don't need to disclose what else they're doing. And and that's where we've gotten into trouble, where where uh, there's there's a non-disclosure and then later we discover there was something that should have been disclosed, but the individual didn't think it was important. Right. Well, I guess what are the uh, the risks that I guess you're hoping to address with conflict management? Um, so at, at a very high level, I think that all of the risks involve potential harm to the integrity of the program, the integrity of the exam, and the reputation of the organization. Um, the worst case risk would involve uh, a, a purposeful or even an inadvertent um, sharing of exam content, which might lead to some candidates having an unfair advantage on on the test. Um, another risk is that people come into your your standard setting uh, workshop to help set the cut score, and they've got a, uh, a a strong bias based on their other relationships or activities to either uh, 
argue for a very high or, or a very low cut score. Um, of course, in all these activities, you're looking for uh, experts that are going to exercise independent and objective judgment and, and you know, try at least to be aware of biases so you can manage them. Um, and even, even in activities that might be considered uh, less risky or less prone to influence by a conflict, uh, for example, uh, practice analysis participants or people involved in determining the the critical uh, concepts and topics and competencies that are important to your profession and your credential. Um, you know, in our an example in our credential, what if I'm a uh, my specialty is uh, managing futures to help people manage their risk and in their investment portfolios. Uh, well, you know, I might like to see a whole study session or or certainly an extensive reading on my particular area of expertise. Uh, so it could be more subtle than than just, uh, you know, say a blatant financial conflict. Well, are there any uh, guidelines out there? I mean, it seems like there, there might be some specific to uh, specific organizations, but are there any guidelines out there for those that are involved in testing licensing and, and credentialing in that industry itself yes line there are there are some uh in in writing the paper or in researching the paper i i wanted to answer that question um the publication called the standards of for educational and psychological testing is what we in in the testing business consider the bible and 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 rightfully so um, but when they talk about subject matter experts mostly what they're emphasizing is uh, to make sure that that your subject matter experts are competent and they have some uh, mentions here and there of of potential conflicts uh, in my view and with with all due respect to the to the bible i think it deserves its reputation but some of the some of the um, treatment is a bit subtle or maybe lacking in detail so they they for example say that people should have an awareness of personal and contextual factors that may influence the testing process that's that could easily i think go unnoticed um, another another sentence they have is all professionals in the testing process should follow the ethical guidelines of their profession. Again, very, very general. Um, the NCCA standards though for accreditation of certification programs has some very specific uh, requirements and guidelines that I think are, are worth mentioning. Um, they have cautions against conflicts or potential conflicts in members of governing boards. And they also, in Standard 10 and Standard 11 of the of the uh, of the standards, they have very specific uh, discussions about preventing and managing conflicts with all individuals uh, involved in the testing process. So I think I think that document is well worth reading, and specifically Standard 10 and 11. Well, I guess as maybe a, a, a parting question, um, what 
what recommendations do you have to improve conflict management when you're dealing with SMEs with subject matter experts? Um, as a general uh, suggestion, I would I would say just focus on uh, promoting awareness. Again, I think that's kind of the the genesis of my interest in this topic is is the lack of awareness that people might have conflicts. Uh, second is a very strong focus on on disclosure, uh, requiring or or strongly encouraging subject matter experts to tell us all they can about the other activities they're involved in, with and the other relationships they might have. Um, and finally, taking the time to evaluate the information that you receive to determine uh, the nature of the conflict and whether there's likelihood of a of an issue or a breach and and what are the consequences if if there is an issue um, specifically in the paper i towards the end i I make some more specific uh, suggestions um, and one is again i would I recommend that in your particular profession if you have a code of ethics for that profession that's a great uh, source to leverage. Uh, the subject matter experts would be aware of of those guidelines or those rules, so you can uh, you don't have to start from ground zero. You can start with those rules, and and many of them, and certainly in our case, have a lot of relevance to uh, how you behave as a subject matter expert. Um, I certainly would strongly encourage using written agreements or contracts with your volunteers or your consultants subject matter experts uh, that's where you can specifically lay out your concerns for what conflicts might exist and your disclosure requirements um, and um, your expected behaviors uh, what what information is sensitive that should never be discussed outside the meeting room um, I also think, uh, you know, when it comes to making judgments about whether this conflict is manageable or whether it should make the subject matter expert ineligible to participate, uh, particularly where there's any doubt, I think I think it's very helpful to enlist other experts outside your area. Maybe it would be legal counsel, maybe it would be ethics staff if you have one to get their viewpoint on whether this is a conflict and how serious it might be. And then, it, and then it comes down to, I think, many forms of communication. Communicate to the subject matter experts frequently, remind them of their obligations, give them examples of past instances where a conflict causes, caused a problem, uh, engage your veteran subject matter experts to talk about their experiences and how they avoid or manage conflict situations um, and then you, you know just you just can't communicate enough uh, about this topic i think doesn't mean you have to take over meetings to talk about it but you know a little mention here and there every other meeting reminding people about these these issues i think is very helpful um yeah, that's great advice. I mean, I think, you know, again, you know, you're, you're, you were point on talking about how uh, just because there's a conflict of interest doesn't necessarily mean that uh, they can't do their job. But, but I guess looking at it from an outside perspective of what is the perceived 
um, conflict. Uh, you know, how would someone else from the outside looking in potentially react to someone's uh, conflict or potential for a conflict? So that's great information. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Line. Uh, it's, it's not only uh, what could happen, but it's how does the rest of the world and particularly other stakeholders in your profession, uh, how they might look at that situation. Um, and in the end, of course, it's, it's, it's a balancing act. We, we need subject matter experts uh, to produce our content. And uh, we need to recognize that conflicts exist. Um, so how do we get there? How do we manage those issues to, uh, to a successful conclusion? And, and in our case, and I think in most credential that I've been uh, associated with, you know, you, you really want to achieve a, a culture and an environment of trust, mutual trust. Um, so you don't, you certainly don't want people to always think they're under suspicion, uh, but, but I think it's, it's not too hard to get to that place if you, if you just uh, collegially promote awareness and disclosures and discussions. Well, as you said, communication is the key. Well, I think this has been a great discussion. Uh, so Peter, I want to thank you for your time and, and being a part of CLEAR's podcast. You know, it is always uh, great to have, you know, the chance to talk about these issues and learn from each other. So again, I just want to thank you for speaking with us today. And also want to thank our listeners. We'll be back with another episode of Regulation Matters, a clear conversation very soon. Um, thank you for our frequent listeners. Uh, and if you're new to the Clear Podcast, please subscribe to it. It's available in a lot of different areas. Uh, it's available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and TuneIn. And if you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please leave a rating or comment in the app. Those actions actually help us improve our ranking and make it new, make it easier for new listeners to, to find us and, and join in the conversation. So feel free to visit our website at www.clearhq.org for additional resources, as well as a calendar of upcoming training programs and online events. Finally, I want to thank our CLEAR staff, specifically Stephanie Thompson. She is our content coordinator and editor for this program. Once again, I'm Lyon Dempsey, and I hope to be speaking to you again very soon.